Hello and welcome to the 77th episode of Kinda Geeky. Uh, actually, I have to try this again because the first attempt failed, so just throwing that out there. Um, I'm sitting here at my house for another interview episode with a wonderful prop maker. Uh, we'll actually let him talk about I went into a longer spiel at the beginning, but let's let him talk at the get-go. Uh, Sitting here in my house today is Evil Ted from, uh, I was going to say Evil Ted Props, but that's not it. It's no, just it's, Evil it's, Ted, it's, yeah. It's, the, it's the, the Evil Ted channel. So, uh, first of all, I'll say again, thank you for being here. Thank uh, you so it's a pleasure to have you in my house. And uh, really, like, I, I want to get back to that again, though. Just meeting you at a convention at an after party was awesome. So thank you again to Gregarious Geek for just going, you really need to meet this dude. And he, wa- he wasn't wrong. Like, you've done some of my favorite props in movies. But... Uh, from what we were talking about last time, we're going to just restart over. Duh. <laughs> I'll cut that out. <laughs> but we're going to go back to how you got started. Because I wanted to start with that first. Yes. And then we went into my favorite part. But we should really start with you. So uh, okay. how did you get started in this whole prop world? Uh, I started when I was 14 years old. I saw a movie in 1977 called Star Wars. And I know people are kind of like, yeah, you know, everybody's seen Everybody that. saw Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and had an impact on everybody's life. Here was a thing back then in 77. People did not know what this film was at the time. And when it came out, it was a blockbuster. And it was ground-shaking. And it was this huge turmoil. Even as a kid, I remember watching the Academy Awards. And one for Best Picture was Annie Hall. Now, Annie Hall, not a bad film. I think it's a Woody Allen film. It's one of his better films. It's very funny. It went to show you the mentality of Hollywood back then because Star Wars was literally a blockbuster to the foundation of like, it was the first time people were rushing to go see the movie over and over again. And people weren't doing that with that. Yeah, I mean, we kind of went into that before with, uh, oh, sorry, Jaws. But right. and, and I know that might be thrown in, but can you just get into that again? Because that, like, what oh, a blockbuster actually is. What a blockbuster actually is. Because I didn't know that before you actually brought it up. Oh, so. thank you. Yeah. Well, the thing, the phrase blockbuster really meant is because it represents the lines would go around the block. And thus, when your film would have lines, because back when I was a kid growing up, you go see a movie, there was never any, you never had to wait for a line. It was ridiculous. You go get a ticket, you walked in. And then it got and to. mostly like these days, you just kind of yeah, walk yeah, in. You, you order your in. ticket online and just walk, walk in. in. So, but yeah. back then, when you go to see Star Wars, the whole thing is you had to get there early because the lines literally wrapped around the block. And people would wait for it, and thus the phrase blockbuster. And Jaws was the first one. And the studios freaked out, like, wait a minute, you people are seeing this movie more than once? They already saw it. If so, wait, we can sell they it again? They actually want to see it again? again? Like, yes. You know. So what happens when you make a good movie. So ended up happening is that when George was the second one, second one to do a blockbuster film, it blew my mind. I was blown away, and I could not get enough. And it was like I bought everything from, like, the bubblegum cards to magazines. Starlog was blowing up this magazine called Starlog. And uh, everybody was rushing out to make stars, and there was no books. There was no behind the scenes. There was nothing to. Find. Yeah, let's uh, re, uh, say that you're from St. Louis. So it was in 1970. Actually, from St. Louis or a little like outskirt town um, of St. Louis. I was in a small suburbs, Bridgeton, Missouri, uh, Carrollton, uh, as Bridgeton, Missouri, and the town uh, Carrollton. Oh, because that makes it even harder to get stuff. If you're not in a centralized city at that time, too, no. you're not going to have access to all, like, no. even some libraries or books and, that have it. And here so. was something I didn't discover until I was 25 years old. I came out to California and did not realize all the movies get released in New York. Well, it's all, trust me, here's the thing it's all changed now. But because everything's yeah, all, yeah. everything's immediate now. But when everything's I was digital, no. right? But in the '80s, growing up in the '80s, uh, 
theatrical films got released in Chicago, New York, Los Angeles. That's it. Those they got yeah. they got premiered. If you're in St. Louis, the movie didn't released. It didn't get released to like Lily. We're talking like months later and small. Really months later? Well, I thought, like, so well, it wasn't the whole like it, Wednesdays and Hollywood nope, nope, and Fridays nope, and, nope. Okay. and Missouri. There's and if there's smaller films that never got released at all. There's oh, wow. th- yeah, it was theatrical films. The theatrical films was not a major film or a blockbuster film or a big all star cast. There was lots of great independent films. As a kid growing up and loving sci-fi genre, yeah, what would get released in Los Angeles, Chicago, and New York never got released in St. Louis theatrically. Oh, wow. No, I didn't know that. No, never got released. Because so we just what what is the percentage of that? Because they they're counting because the thing is it costs back then you have to understand something when you oh, had to, you had to pay films you had to make and... prints you had to make reels you had to make you had to make reels you had to ship them to the theaters. It's like and, the theaters you want to see so, it, show and, it. And yeah, so you had, okay. it's all about demographic and the number and value, how many people in the theater. So if you made an independent film and you're making X amount of printings of your movie, you're going to ship it to where people went to the theater. So you had Chicago, New York, and L.A. So Missouri was like, it's not even worth the investment. It's not on the market. It's not on the market. So as a kid growing up. Flyover state. Right, a flyover <laughs> state. And as a kid growing up, all the films I would love, it wasn't until the birth of uh, cable. First was cable. And I never forget my father was going, let me get this straight. TV, did you have to pay for? Yeah. And as a kid, I got it. I was like, no, no, dad, you understand. No commercials. And more channels. Yeah. More channels and no commercials. Yeah. It's insane. And, my, uh, and it wasn't until, of course, so, you know, we were the last ones to get cable in my neighborhood. So I would watch my, go to my friend's house who had cable. And my first cable show I ever saw was Hawk the Slayer. Oh, like, I don't know that one. Oh my God! It's you. You'll, there's a reason why. Okay. <laughs> it was not a good film. It was a low-budget British film. It had Jack Palance in it, uh, and it's about this guy who had this magical, mystical sword. And when you watch it by today's standards, it's uber low budget. And I bought. I found it on DVD, and I bought it. And it's so wonderfully bad. But when watching it, it took me back to my childhood. Okay. As a kid in the late seventies, early eighties, this watching this movie, and it was just like, oh my God. This is my first cable ever show I ever saw on cable. Yeah. And it opened up the market and I started, and then VHS was born. And all of a sudden there were these movies I always wanted to see and now they're on VHS. So I was able to catch up on all the films that never got released theatrically. But, but how, like, how did that translate to stuff you started making? Uh, it, like you'd see it in the movies and you're yeah, like, yeah, well, it, it was, or? it was it, my first one. Oh, here it is guys. Oh, sorry. Star Trek. So I was Star Trek. I made a phaser. They put out a book called the Star Trek Tactical Manual. Yeah. And inside the book had a blueprint of the tricorder and the phaser. And it blew my... I'm like, oh my God. Blueprints. So that's all I needed. So I literally made a cardboard phaser. Oh, okay. Wait. So it wasn't... The book wasn't made for making the phaser. No. It actually had a blueprint of a phaser. phaser. Yeah. Oh, it was the, okay, It was okay. the Star Trek Tactical Manual. Yeah, yeah. And in the book... the uh, add element to the Star Trek. That's they, awesome. They put blueprints of the tricorder and face. So as a kid, I'm like, oh my God, here's actual skill references of, opposed to trying to figure it out. It was in a book. Yeah. And it blew my mind. So I made it and literally all my sci-fi friends lost their minds that they could actually physically hold a phaser. Because you, you had one. Yeah, I had one. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God. So, and then, so of course, I did what everybody would do. I, I started making them for my friends. I made three cardboard phasers I made a tricorder that would open up and had a little door on it. it was all oh, done, no all done with cardboard, oh, cardboard awesome. and wood glue, cardboard wood Did glue. You paint too? Yeah, paint yeah. them everything. Okay. Pinstriping tape for the all the silver on them. Oh, that's awesome! Went crazy. So then, 
That got the ball rolling. So dedicated in detail right from the get-go. And, then, <laughs> and I saw Logan's Run. Oh, yeah, that's a good movie. I loved Logan's Run as a kid, and I proceeded to get a black T-shirt and put gray gaffer's tape across oh. the tape. <laughs> and I made cardboard <laughs> Sandman guns. And my friends and I would run around, and we'd meet truckers. We're like, runner! And, of course... And it's That's so fun. Awesome. And the, the, the laugh, the thing now, if you ever see those guns up close, there's really simply nothing to them but a black tube. A, a little, so, and they had. Pro, oh, yeah, it was just a handle. It was a handle with a solid tube, and they had propane tanks in it. And it pulled a trigger, which would ignite the. Um, had a little spark, a little arc spark, that would ignite the gas and shoot the flames off the side of the gun. So anyone today can basically make one of those. Uh, yeah, oh. we'll make. And there's fans of people who actually made ones at work. And people, but you can make it's a simple gun. Um, but I love that back then there was no to make something and put in laser beams was such a production that they figured out what they would do was just have the gun flash and they would just do pyro on the other end as like oh, the, like, like this, oh yeah a lot of movies yeah were like yeah that. There, yeah because there was no beams they didn't want to do because it was just too uh, expensive yeah it was yeah. expensive back then so and Logan's it Run like it, image it, overlay right yeah it, several it, image overlays and it, it, they sold it so what they would do is they just pull the trigger propane and they would just put a Explosion at the other end of the camera as the energy blast would go across the room. It was like, uh, but practical. Basically. Yeah, it was all, yeah, all on camera, practical. <laughs> it was super cool. And that got me started. But growing up, I, I had to get a job and I was, uh, and I was a baby photographer at Sears. And this oh, yeah, it. really? Yeah, I did that for like two years. And I was good. Um, and it wasn't. Wait, was it just babies or was it the family portraits? Well, family portraits. So, uh, yeah, and okay. I, the reason I say baby photographer because. Family portraits were fun to do, but I was I had a, I was really good with babies and kids. I could make them smile, and the parents were like, and that became I became known the baby guy, and they would bring kids to me, and I could always get them to smile. And the parents would go, oh, I can, you know, our baby doesn't really smile for too many people. I'm like, let me have a shot, and I would get it, and they would, and so I would get repeat customers. Anybody have a kid? And so I became known as the baby photographer, and it was kind of like my going. So then if a baby wouldn't smile for you, you just turn back to the parents and be like, your baby sucks. Yeah, it's <laughs> okay. not, you know, no, it was a challenge. Either the baby was tired or cranky, but I always was managing to get them. But what had happened was I had a, a friend. And that's the day job that funds all the fun stuff you get to do. I didn't, even back then, I wasn't really funny much. I wasn't doing that much building. It was kind of like uh, I would do conventions, but it wasn't really fuel because it wasn't anything to do it for okay so i was kind of making it more as a hobby it wasn't until my friend who got divorced from his wife and she kicked him out and he had no place to live so he lived in my place and he was there for a couple of weeks and he finally turned to me and said dude i'm i'm going to los angeles i'm gonna pack up my bags and go to california and work in the movie business huh? did he just like on a whim choose that like no he finally realized what do i got to lose it's like i i I'm well, little... no, i mean also like why la uh, California. He just wanted to go to California. California. Just basically because that's where... Okay. Hollywood. Again, Hollywood. let me just tell you people out there. Uh, growing up in Missouri, the there's one place. This is back in, again, guys, in the 80s where where they make movies. L.A., California, Los Angeles. That's where they make movies. This is back then. They didn't make movies in, in Atlanta or Utah well, Yeah, but I mean, Canada. they make movies there now, but even the still... People still draw to coming to L.A. or if California. If you want to act, yeah. if you want to get in commercials, you want to yeah. work the movies, you want to do effects, it is not San Francisco. Yeah, all that all stuff. That it's stuff, California. Yeah. L.A., California, Los Angeles. That is the movie Mecca, the go-to. Yeah. So, he packed his bags up, took off, and I was like, oh, dude, well... Like, because he was... He had no... He had nothing to lose. I got... True, I lost true. everything, so I'm going to go. So, he packed up his travel light, went out there. I was working... I got promoted 
went from baby photographer to a desk job. Oh, okay. I, I was quality control supervisor at a cubicle. Hey, QA. <laughs> and I had, I had an in and out basket. And uh, it was like, I was Dilbert. I turned into Dilbert, basically. So I'm sitting there. You know, Dilbert reference. So wait, then were you were even doing any prop making at this time nope. in your hobbies? In your spare bit, time? Just or? spare time. Okay. Just mostly doing it. And it was, and I, did, I built it and I was doing, I was kind of getting into makeup, started sculpting, doing masks and stuff because I love Rick Baker. I was a big Rick, Rick Baker fan. Okay. And uh, make, a, make an attempt to do makeup. And I, I say make attempt because I look on it now and it was just, it was. It's where you started. It's where I started. Where you started. So <laughs> anyway, I'm working at my desk. And it was two or three weeks. My phone rings at the desk, like it always does. I pick it up, and it's my friend on the other so wait, end. Only two or three weeks of him living yeah, in California. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. And the phone rings, and it's him. I'm like, dude, what's up? He's like, hey, man, um, I'm working on a zombie movie. I'm like, what the what what, what? seriously? <laughs> seriously? I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, man, I'm working on the zombie movie. And he goes, I'm looking at the stuff. And he goes, it's not even half as good as what you do, Ted. You could. I'm like, are you kidding me? He goes, dude. He goes, seriously, Ted. It's a schlocky little movie, but I'm having fun. And all with my brain was, this guy packed his entire life up, took off, and got a job in the movie industry. I'm like, that was it. That three was weeks. It. Three weeks. Yeah. Done. Done. Shit. <laughs> that turned on my motor. Everybody has something that burns inside them. Yeah. And I call it the motor or the engine. You're, you have this motor in you that's running. And that turned it on. I was on. Like, that's it. I'm not stopping. So I gave my 30-day notice. I'm packing my bags. Uh, I got a U-Haul truck. Uh, I got a tow to tow my car and packed my entire existence in the back of a U-Haul truck. So in 30 days, you were out. Of yeah, yeah. I, 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 was, I was like, I'm just packing my stuff up. Everything booked. Oh, wow. I got on a plane, flew out to California first, found an apartment, which literally was next to the guy, my friend who lived, who moved out there. Yeah. I got, got an apartment right next to him, came back, packed everything up and drove out. And, oh, wow. And that was in 1989. I was 26 years old. Oh, that's awesome. I moved out here when I was 26 as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> 26. And it and I came out and hit the ground running and literally started knocking on jobs. And I discovered something that a lot of people, uh, I worked for a company. I had a payroll. I had a 4K, you know, 410K. I had insurance and all this stuff. And oh, wow. I, when I was working this job. Oh, no, no, yeah, St. Louis. Back in St. Yeah, Louis. Yeah. I was all, like, I was taken care of. Was it the greatest job, but I was covered by yeah. everything. I had everything. And I literally left it all. So now I'm starting from scratch. Beginning and again, completely. Over, and I had no concept of freelance. I never, like, I didn't know, I, like, I didn't care. I just wanted to do this. So I showed up, uh, and this guy, I walked, uh, my friend Richard was doing this movie. They need a model maker. I said, yeah. oh, I, 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 got, I can do models. So I had no, I had no, nothing of a portfolio. I showed up, and the guy was named was Dave Sharp, and he, was, he did visual effects for films and television. So we're doing this show called Miracle Landing about this Loha tragedy of the airplane flying and the top of the plane peels open. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, okay. it's, it's based on a real event. So they're making this made-for-TV movie and they're going to reproduce all these effects and miniatures and special effects. Yeah. So I come in to start working. I come and walk around this guy's shop and every time I saw something I could do, I'm like, oh, I can do that. I can do this. I can do that. Oh, so wow. he turns to me and says, that's great. Um, what's your rate? Oh shit! So my brain is processing <laughs> at ninety miles an hour, like uh, uh, what? My rate? What? And basically, what yeah. Could he possibly be talking about. Right and, he, and he said, "Yeah, your 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 daily rate." And so immediately, oh, it was a daily rate. Yeah, okay. and is your hourly rate for for like yeah, yeah. Your, so your hourly or flat daily? What are your daily rate is your daily rate hourly? So eight hour day, right? Yeah. Oh. So in 1989, I was back in St. Louis and I was making seven bucks an hour. 
Okay. And seven bucks an hour in wow. St. Louis. That's actually not bad. In St. Louis in 1980, uh, you could get an apartment. You, you, you know, it's like it was great. Like I was like also. So immediately I just went ten. My brain went well. If I'm going to ask for money, I'm asking for more. I'm asking for ten. Of course, yeah. So I said ten dollars, and he said, "You start Monday." Oh God damn it! And immediately I'm, I'm thinking, uh, maybe I should have said twenty. I should have asked. Like maybe could have negotiated. But I figured at this point I didn't care. Yeah, I just, just want to. I, I want to get my experience because I don't really know shit. I just came out. I don't know very little. You're like I can't do this, but I don't and, have the experience back. And so when I was working in that shop that year, I learned how to use a table saw. I learned how to use a bandsaw. I knew of these tools, but didn't know them that well. So I got better at it because I was working on these people that knew how. Yeah. And it just it was I was never afraid to ask. And I discovered silicone molds and silicone rubber. And the vat, how, and, and silicone can make anybody a mold maker. There's no, you can just pour it. You can put use a, it for so yeah, many things. Yeah, things. So I was like, oh my God. So I learned all these techniques and I was making, and they would work me like a dog. We do like 15 hours a day. It started off as eight. And you for $10 an hour. Yeah, for $10 <laughs> an hour. And then it got to a point where I built, 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 built up. So I was making money. And thus, I remember like, and then here's the thing about the movie industry. When the job is over, it's over. You are yeah, you're done. You're unemployed. You're unemployed, and you have to go out and start looking for a job again. That's why you're a freelancer. And you're a freelancer, and that's when I learned the whole technique of freelancing. And I did that for about 25 years. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, damn, that's a long time. Yeah. Well, but I'm a contractor, so it's right. And so, and, and that's, and, the, and then what happened was by being a model maker, I did that in those years. I got my model making skills. But what happened was I saw the writing of the wall. I was um, loving it. And I worked on like was doing uh, we did Starship Troopers. I did um, all these I did my movies and TV movies. Oh, no, I want to get into that because I want to get into some of the props you've done. And all that, right. You did bring up uh, uh, Fifth Element. Right. So what did you make? I got Fifth I Element? was a model maker. I got hired as a model maker on that show with a bunch of other people. There was, a, there was like 50 of us. I mean, it was a big number. It was like. It was a huge model crew. This is the yeah. era where they had large teams. And well, I mean, how, I mean, how much was that movie to make? Like, that uh, well, that was a cheap movie. Let's put it this way: in the the visual effects budget for Fifth Element was like two million dollars for the visual effects, and that was just for the miniatures. And you think back about that: that was right for this. That's the for the models. That's for building and shooting all this stuff. So two million dollars, you think by today's standards, it's not a lot of money. But for Fifth Element, that's about what they spent making all this stuff. I think, I think it was too well, yeah, yeah, especially for like the futuristic city, the flying cars, the spaceships, yeah, the, yeah, the, the whole other world, and it was the a lot aliens, of aliens. Like, yeah, but that's not us. We just strictly visual effects. Okay. So in England, they did all the principal stuff. Here's how it gets all segmented out. In the movie industry, you have you have set people, you have principal photography, and you have costumes, props, makeup, actors, blah blah blah. Yeah. And then you have the visual effects department. The visual effects do literally. Everything is not in the real world. Everything is not okay, on you set. Make it, okay, you make it we real. make it. So every time Bruce Willis is in the flying cab, in it, it's a big set. It's a prop. He's inside of it. He's on set. Yeah. As soon as you've seen any, any exterior shots, that's us. That's you guys. Okay. So that was the mirror between the two. Oh, and when wow. doing those, when you're making a movie, so we never got, I never got on set. I never been on set. You're the, we would get dailies and footage of stuff we had to match. And so we would match stuff. And so they were shooting the movie at the same time while we were making and doing the visual effects. Some of the stuff we would we had to build because we knew they were going to need it, like spaceships and cars and all that stuff. And as we started getting shots, we had things we had to match. And 
So. What was your favorite thing to make on that movie? It was the flying cab. Okay. <laughs> I did the flying cab. It was well, a, it was, was, it was it to put together a cab or after smashed up after she's crashed to the ceiling cab? Uh, we or did it all together. We did them all. The thing oh, was, wow. we did, um, we had to match. So we had, to, we had, and that was the funny story was I made this, we had, we made a bunch of hero cabs. We had model cabs and we made three or four of them. They're big. They lit up and they we had this beautiful car we painted it and it was it's it's actually a working model and it was, oh, wow. it, was it was done at one six scale like action figure gi joe size yeah, yeah, i call yeah. it so the cab was pretty big it was like three you know three feet long this cab uh the miniature cab and we um they would have it painted beautifully done and we'd shoot it on set and they brought it back to me and put it on my desk and then i come back to work one day and there's my cab on my on my workbench and i go, and I go oh yeah tell you gotta make the door open I'm like oh, what <laughs> yeah there's a scene where they they pull up next to Bruce Willis and the door open, you know, Corbin Dallas, he has to open the door and the, and the actual set, the door pops open and slides back. Yeah. When the door needs to be open. Oh, and, and you got to make the door open and you got to make the door go back in and make it seamless. Oh no. Like a clean seam. I'm like, okay. So I took my Dremel out with a cutting wheel and went, man, this is a beautifully painted model. Complete model. Finished all done. So Excellent. I had to take, yeah, I had to take a tool, cut it all, man, cut this big trench around it pop the door off of it make this and make the edge with bondo and sanding paper make a really beautiful seam on the door and then i put it back in and what i do on the edge is i put vaseline on the edge of the door okay on, on the actual door i made the clean edge on it yeah and i squished bondo on the edge of the actual model cab and what it is i took the door frame and put vaseline on the edge and then pushed it into the wet bondo on the edge of the cab so when it cured uh-huh. I was able to pop it off and I had a perfect seam so it would snap back in Oh! so I was able to trim it clean it pop it and the cool thing here's the best thing about working in a model crew Yeah. once it's all done I just pass it off to the painters and they and make they, it look and they, they, pat, they patch it and match the paint scheme and I didn't have to worry about that I just had to make the door open okay. and close I had to put a little pin so I could put the door on there and then they come back to me oh yeah we need an interior yeah I'm like oh, oh shit oh yeah <laughs> so I had to make so I had to make a little fake seat in it, and um, uh, my friend Brian Ripley, he had we. There's a shot because you could see in it, and it had a hole. So I had the same thing. I had to cut a hole on the top of the cab, and I took black wrap aluminum foil. And I had to wrinkle it up because I had to wrinkle it up and make it look like it smashed yeah, open, yeah, yeah. like the movie. And I had to make a mold of that so I could make it out of plastic. Because you can't have aluminum foil on set because it'll bend and crinkle. It's a model yeah, and it exactly. has to stay static in every shot. So I had to go back and take this beautiful cab and cut a hole in it to match the wrinkled folded so roof. So it was the same cab used for all those different. There we had multiple cabs. We had two cabs. We okay. had. Well, I'm sorry. We had a total of four cabs. I think we had. Um, um, we had. You know, here's the reason why we had big. Because if something burned out or caught on fire or broke, we had to have a nice. Here we had to have a backup. Oh yeah, exactly. Because you can't wait to rebuild the model. So, so then, when you were cutting the door for the cab, did you have to do that on two for the uh, backup? I, uh, no, I only, I only had to do one. Okay. I only had one to do the door, and then on the on the hood of the car with it opened. Yeah, I had to do that on two. There was two cabs that had to have a hole in the roof, and so it made me realize I just couldn't use wrinkle foil. Whatever I had to do, I had to be able to reproduce twice. So I had to make link wrinkle foil. Pour it, I made it, and basically what I did was, I took black wrap, wrinkled it, had the guy sign off on it, match the picture, and I took a silicone mold of that, uh, and then cast them out of plastic, 
and cut them and put them in and then gave it the art department for them to paint. And so there's a shot over shot where Corbin Dallas pulls up and the cop cars surround him. Yeah. There's an overhead shot and inside the, the cab there's a hole and a friend of mine, Brian Ripley, they made, they took a, a Barbie doll and painted and dressed up and made a little Lilo in back of the I'm, cab. I'm remembering the scene right now. So. Yeah. And so if you look carefully, you can kind of see her in the back of the cab. They made a little doll for the overhead shot just in case if you saw inside the cab they had to have a... In case you're looking at... Yeah. yeah so, continuity. So, yeah. <laughs> And the, That's yeah. awesome. Wow. Um, I want to get back into the Guyver thing too, but the question I really want to ask is what has been your favorite prop to make for a movie? Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm sure you get that a lot. Yeah, it's so much the point. That's almost like asking somebody who's your favorite friend. It's, well, yeah, and I'm not it, saying like what movie or like... It, it, there's... Every, the, the everything thing you had to... Okay. Not the easiest. The thing that you had the most pleasure working on. How right, about that? But I can narrow it down to two. Okay. Okay. The, it would have to almost be the first... I saw it. I love it's the Guyver unit. Was yeah. Oh, see, we're going there anyways. Because <laughs> the Guyver unit for me was the first thing I actually literally had to do, and Steve let me have fun with it. He let me run with it, and so I was able to. That was actually something that was mine. Because from that point I on, I really hope this episode part saves from here because I want to interject your whole little. But can we get into that Guyver unit again? Real well, quick? what happened Cause... was when I did it. It was the first thing I ever got to do that was actually mine. And from that point on, to let you guys know, as a prop maker, costume builder, people bring you designs, and you have to build from the drawings of the blueprints. Yeah. They don't want your embellishment. They don't want your two cents. They want you to build what they have in the drawing. Or if it comes from an anime or right, something. Yeah, yeah. You, come... yeah. you, have to, you have to nail something precisely now in Hollywood. And with me, it was have fun. And did that. Um, uh, the uh, government... Do you, do you want me to go on the gag of the... We, yeah, because I don't know if that's going to save here. And that's okay, for, like, okay, okay, okay. Wait, you've shared that before, though. So, or that? have you shared it before? I or? shared it before on Matt Munson's thing. But what the thing is, I was telling the story about the uh, making the Guyver unit that I had to make a hero one. It lit up, and I had a stunt rubber one. And then there was one that um, Steve. I know. Went, I feel bad that we lost. Like I'm just to no, share no, on I, here. Like I, we I, lost part of what we were recording earlier, and you went fine. this wonderful story about the Guyver unit. And I, it, and the thing with about the Guyver is with the gag of the story was that it had to, it had Steve goes. I'll never forget the way he told me to. It was very nonchalantly. It was like, okay, what I want is he falls on the ground, it touches his head, and he falls on his back. I want the Guyver unit to shoot open, and have tentacles come out of it, and like the Guyver unit sinks into his body, and it springs open, and tentacles shoot everywhere. Yeah, and I was just like, uh, okay. And he walked off. I'm thinking, and it, and I thought. He spoke to me as a visual effects professional. This is my job. So he told me this with me. So be it. I will do it. So I'm sure that's how a lot of your work went, right? Yeah, this it, is what we wanted. This, this, like, this, oh, okay. this, this was my first one of that <laughs> scale. And I was like, okay. And and I, what happened was, as I was kind of scratching my brain about it, I'm like, oh, hi, with air, like hydraulics and air shooting things out, making tentacles flip around. Ever, I kept thinking about John. I think like John Carpenter's the thing, and they had tentacles. Sure, yeah. They shot, and they had tubes with holes on one side. And they'd shoot air, and they made the tentacles, and I, everything I was thinking was so freaking elaborate. I'm like, uh, and all of a sudden, an epiphany, and a lightning bolt went off in my head, and it flashed me back to when I first time I saw the movie Dawn of the Dead. Tom Savini as a biker guy, the zombie knocks him off a motorcycle, and he jumps around and goes, "You creep!" and he takes a machete. And he throws the machete in this guy's head, and it was like it. You watch, you watch the movie, and the machete comes down and buries deep in this guy's skull. And it's a real guy. 
And the first time I didn't remember what you were talking about, I think I remember that now. And yeah, you're like, oh my God, that oh, just went into that guy's, guy's head. head. Yeah, yeah. Like, like immediately, like it's the most amazing effect. And then they cut back and he sees him and he's twisted and the blood's coming out. Ugh. And yep, all of a sudden, that scene. <laughs> so then I find out later, I bought Tom Simini's book, Grand Delusions. And he talks about how he did that gag was he took a machete, a real machete, dulled it so it was dull. And he took a piece of armature wire bend around the guy's the actor's head to get the curve of the skull where it was going to go trace it onto the onto the um, machete cut a big half moon scallop out of it and sand it and it put in the guy's actor's head and what he did was they put it in the actor's head they'd call action and he'd yank it out of the head really quickly which blew me away because they just played it in reverse he took the footage and put it in reverse and therefore you could get the speed of the machete going in the guy's head like, because that's you couldn't swing it and get in somebody's head without hurting them, so he had it in his head. So, I don't think I, uh, so while you were reading or researching this to create the Guyver unit, or you had already read this, I already read this. So, I, this is like you remembered it, remember it popped off in my head because I loved it and made such an impression on me as a kid. I said, I'll do the same thing with the Guyver unit, I'll do literally everything he asked for, and I'll do it backwards. I'll have this fake head, I'll do a fake head with a tube in it have the guy unit all opened up and therefore when they call action, I'll have the tentacles out already. They call action. I'll pull the tentacles through. They shoot in. I pull the string that co- close all the little plan- the panels, click, click. And then I push the guy unit up the very end. So when you play in the movie, you see it literally it looks forward very but, you're, fast, yes. but, you're, but you're actually seeing it backwards a lot a lot of effects were done that way back in the day yes yeah. a lot of reverse and there's actually they did it in blade there's a, a gag in the first blade a going joke is and it always looks cool in the movies when a guy has a sword on his back yeah it's cool and it's oh, bad at, you, can't, you can't pull a sword out of your back if you're like what about putting it back in too or especially both, both. Oh. yeah <laughs> so what it happened was a shot in blade the first blade wesley snipes like we're going to do some vampire hunting or some blood sucking hunting. And he takes the sword and he goes and he spins it and puts it in his scabbard in his back. And of course you buy it because he's blade. And he's so badass. Yeah. Of course you can do it. You know, you can't do it, but blade can. And when you watch that scene, I love it because he does it. He does it in the movie to establish that blade has his, you know, blade. On it. Cause in the movie you see him with the blade all the time. It's usually some, it's already out or he's got, he's yeah, cutting. Yeah, exactly. But, and this gag, he had it and he puts it away um, or I think or pull, puts it away or pulls it out but either way it was it was all done in reverse so uh, yeah I think he did he so did, there are two cuts there the whole spinning and all that well no no, no I think or... what is I think it's all in one shot I think he spins it and puts it in his he puts it yeah. in, he, he puts it no back. I remember that he, he spins it he puts he it back cuts in his, the people sl- uh, slashes off the blood and then spins it in. yeah and puts it back she's yeah. it yeah. yeah and she's in they do it backwards and it was a simple effect and that's always a great way to do it because um I'm doing a costume, uh, Vampire D, and he's an- oh god, really? Yeah, and he's anime, and and Vampire D, just to tell you a funny joke, as I'm making him, I'm taking a cartoon character, and making a live action costume of it, and D has a blade that's on his back, that's the length of his entire body. Yeah, he does. And he always pulls it out. And I'm always like, in reality, you can't pull a sword the length of your body on yeah. your back. Uh, but which brought the whole story back up. It's that. So, but reverse technology is a great trick as an old school film trick. And 
it saved the day. So but when it's you still, watch, like like you said with the whole short sword thing, uh, it's still probably used to today. Oh yeah, it's, it's, you, some tricks you can do. It's super simple. Okay, I didn't realize that. So like every time I see someone pulling a sword out, it's probably a reverse shot. <laughs> Good to know. Or she that yeah, except for samurai. Samurais can do it. I mean. Oh yeah, of course, all the time. No. <laughs> It's a way they, they they put they always put their hand on the hilt. They spin it and bring it up, and they rock they rock it on their hilt. Well, that's for two things: to guide it, and also because a true samurai must. Uh, if you didn't kill anybody with it, you must uh, shed blood. Dread blood, yeah. And the gag is they always, and they, they do it. They, they snap it, get the blade off, and they go, and they slide it back. Yep, I, I always love that. That's a badass. Yeah, technique. yeah, those guys uh, are amazing. So, on the other spec, other side of that, what was the most challenging? Like something you had to work on. You're like. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know uh, if it's going to get done in time, or that is just not the way I want it to look. Uh, there's two shows I can throw at you. There was uh, VR Troopers. Okay. TV show Saban did. They were basically they already had Power Rangers. Yeah. But you know, like anything, they wanted more shows. Of course. So they bought this show, and they ended up buying. They bought two shows and combined them together. There's two Japanese superhero shows. They kind of took footage and kind of combined them together. But it was called um, Metal Door, and in Japan but they brought it called the VR Troopers okay. and of course Saban bought the shows but they didn't have the suits oh, and, and and the company Rainbow <laughs> which provided them with all the Power Ranger stuff and the yeah. costumes from that show they claimed they didn't they didn't have the suits like they had everything but they don't have the suits from Saban went through so much legality in the 90s <laughs> so they go we don't have, we don't have those suits they, well, they bought the shows but they want the suits so yeah. I got hired they came to me uh, to do the suits for the show. Oh, wow. And like, we want you to reproduce the metal door, the first one. This, I uh, use like silver and red and blue. Yeah. And I'm like, crap. And like, I was desperate for work because I'm freelancing because work kind of hits and miss. And I sat down with my friend, I had a Japanese friend, a Sal Goto, and he did all those shows and he used to work for the company. Okay. Rainbow in Japan he used to make the shows for the TV, make the costumes for the TV show. And Sal's like, you, 30,000. Easily, like thirty thousand for each. No, for making a suit, just oh, to, just yeah, to for make each suit. just to make a suit, like to make the make the first one. Like it's like he's like because you got a fat. And I thought okay, good to know. Like so, I wow. thought we should ask for thirty five thousand. So, so anyway, I know what your people are thinking. That's a lot of money. Uh, no, it's not. When it comes to making a costume, not in the industry, no, yeah. not, not for a realistic suit. Here's what they're wanting. They want a suit to be reproduced from a one from a TV show. It has to be accurate. It has to be made. You have to sculpt it, mold it, fiberglassing, man hours, people, more than one person on it. You have a crazy deadline. So you have to, you have to, you have to hire a seamstress to make the other suit. It's like, oh, so yeah, it adds up really quickly. So anyway, I was intimidated. Uh, I got my, went to my buddy, Mike Hood, who back in the day had a shop called Precision Effects and neither of those, he doesn't do it anymore. The shop's gone years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. But they're, they're gone, gone, gone. Years like ago. bought out or just no, just down? just just gone. Okay, just, the shops just ceased to exist because shots closed up back then. Um, we did it, and I went through Saban, and we ended up doing it. And oh my god, it was a nightmare. It was such a crazy deadline, and then we got hit with the earthquake. That was during the earthquake. Oh shit! And it was ninety six. Oh, yeah, because you've been hired. That yeah, time. and wow, so yeah. it literally shut production down, and Saban didn't care. We're like, they're like, where's the suit? I'm like, dude, we haven't worked for a couple of days. The city closed down. We can't work. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I can't drive the work because the bridge is collapsed. Yeah, there is like, no bridge to get, drive. Yeah, on. so <laughs> they were like, Saban didn't give a shit. They're like, oh, we want suit. Where's suit? I was like, what do you mean? There's no working. So there is, you know, Israeli. Oh, so, like, are they Russian? No, no, no they're, they're Israelis. They're Israelis, and they were. Oh, I didn't know Saban's Israeli. Yeah. Oh yeah, wow. Yeah, okay. yeah, they come from. And so, so that's why it has to say Saban in front of it. Saban Power Rangers. Yeah, Saban, yeah, like yeah, just. They, 
They we, own it. It's yeah. Power Rangers. You yeah. don't have to keep throwing Saban on everything. Yeah, they own everything. <laughs> so, well, they bought it. Um, uh, those guys were horrible to work for. There was a nightmare show, and that was the hardest thing I ever did. And when it was over with, I, I could not get away from that show. And, I, and after that show, I will never work for Saban ever again. Did you get the suit finished? Yeah, we did. Okay. <laughs> we got it dead by, by blood, sweat, and tears. We all killed ourselves. So we delivered and ended up adding oh, two wow. more. While we were building, they added two more suits. They added two oh, more. Oh, shit. They added, and... Did, want, did they increase the money or still? Oh, yeah, no, no, we, yeah, no, we, no, we jacked it. We got them done, but then they brought two more suits to us after we completed that show because we finished the costume. They're like, yeah. well, we're going to combine these two shows, so we now we need two more suits. Oh my god! So we and, I, and after doing those, I was done. I will never work, and I have no problem telling this on oh, a podcast. Wow. I will never work for Sabat. Was ever. that the two? Because you said you had two stories that kind of uh, that one, and then I did. Um, they brought to me was. Uh, TV um, it was a movie called Ghost Town, which, which Richie surveys, and it kind of came and left. Yeah, trust me, you didn't see it. It was a, it was basically a comedy of six cents. It's a guy who sees dead people. No, I think I've I have seen it. Yeah, well, there's a my, scene. my roommate's a master of bad or just weird TV, right? So I've probably seen it because he watches everything. Well, great. <laughs> they, well, I was working for a company called HPR Hand Prop Room, and I was not independently contracted anymore. I was actually working for a company. Oh, you were actually hired on. I was hired nice. on, and, and I worked at a shop. And, I was, and they would just and I liked HPR uh, love and hate relationship with this company because I call it prop making boot camp. I came in there. Um, I what? Hold on. So I I wrote and directed a feature film. Okay. Back in. 2002, uh, 2001, we made it. I got to, you know, I got to make my dream to make my own film, wrote it, uh, directed it, brought my friend aboard to help me write it. We made it. I uh, got financing done, sold it, got picked up by Think Films. They dumped it on cable and it's on Netflix. What What is that? The film was called Guardian of the Realm. And don't worry, I'll, we'll, I'll, I'll go on another tangent about that. Okay. But <laughs> what happened was during that, I, the film was done. I had a blast, but I was broke because I didn't make any money. I just made a movie. You don't make money. You just no, lose yeah. money. Unless, so, the money, unless the movie makes money, you but don't you make, make money. any money. Exactly. So I took off and was broke and fell into HPR. And HPR, Hand Prop Room, was his company. And the speed and the pacing they worked, they cranked out props for film and television at a, at a neck break speed. Oh, shit. And I basically went into prop making boot camp. I thought I was I was good at what I did. I was pretty fast. And man, I... They, I, I became faster, and I learned so much in that shop. And I worked there for 13 years in this oh, company. So that honed your craft, basically. Yeah. So I was a prop maker for 13 years. Oh wow! So I went from effects miniatures to creature effects to props. In the span of the 13 years I worked at that place, I worked on a lot of stuff in Star Trek and the Darkness. And but one of the jobs that kind of came in and fell in my lap was they had to make a mummy for a movie called. Um, ghost town which was your face and there's a scene where there there's this dialogue with his with his love interest and she works she's a curio at a museum yeah and in front of her she's examining this mummy in front of the, on the body and they're like oh my god we need this mummy uh the prop master said we need this new mummy so my boss kind of knew i did effects at that at the time he said hey ted we need a mummy can you do that I'm like oh heck yeah hey, I can what, do mummies. <laughs> he goes what do you what do you need i said i need it like give an examination skeleton and so they bought like a really expensive examination skeleton. They bought it to me and they gave us all these pictures of two non-common, like the boy King, like yeah, yeah, a yeah. real mummy. And they're really big about, we want to match this as much as possible. So I, uh, Why took King Tut. There's so many other mummies. You well, can I think from, it's because but... he's the most photo documented and True. very popular and he's a really great picture. So I'm like, Oh, fantastic. 
So I did this old makeup school tricks and things I learned while working in the effects department when I first came out as I took a mummy and I wrapped him in pantyhose. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, you wrapped uh, them in pantyhose? Okay. To make the skin. I basically took the mummy oh. and covered it with pantyhose to create the skin. So like pe- the peach pantyhose? Uh, yeah, just, just, just pantyhose. Just, you know, just good old-fashioned pantyhose. Okay. I wanted a thin mesh material I could pull over to make it look like dry skin. And then with oh, that, yeah. I, I took, uh, I brushed latex. I pigmented. I took the latex and pigmented it with brown and black to make it brownish. Uh, and I took, coated it with latex. I sprayed it with spray 90 to get a bumpy texture. And then proceed to get a bunch of tissue paper, wrapping paper, and dipped it in latex and I laid it on to make the wrinkly skin. Oh. So you start doing that with cotton and tissue paper. And this is all like old school, like Dick Smith stuff. Dick Smith, who's like in the makeup, talked about using latex and cotton and tissue paper. So I learned that from Dick Smith. So taking the Dick Smith technique, I started making the skin on this mummy. And since it was a big budget show, and my boss obviously bid a lot of money for it. Yeah. He said, okay, I'm going to do it, but I need X amount of money and time. So it was just me on this thing, making this thing. Oh, shit. And so I spent about a solid week or more doing this and getting it. And my boss would come by and look at it and, uh, I want more wrinkles here. So, and I went and did, I did the eyebrows and the lips out of cotton and latex and do, and then it was done. We went back and, and I painted it and we added dry powders and, the, and my boss is like, drive me crazy with it. So anyway, it's done. We put it in a body bag, yeah. zipped it up, and put it in a crate, and we shipped it off. Oh, no. I feel like there's a uh-oh story. Coming. So, yeah, we ship it off. And I get – the cop, the shop I work at was a factory. So, you know, once it was done, boom, right? They threw more – like, go, 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 go. And I was, yeah, like, yeah, you have to keep so, – Yeah, they, so I do other things. So when I got pulled off the mummy – and even when I was working on the mummy, sometimes I had to stop and work on other things on the side. Oh, okay. So I was always – because the, 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 we were still at TV shows – Wait, we still, and so I, so you're I was, working for a company. So yeah, so I was doing stuff. Criminal Minds. I was doing like CSI, and like we we're doing these like, and I think we we're also doing uh, Alias and stuff at the time. Oh, wow. When Alias was big, we were doing stuff of that. So I was doing that. See, the, Criminal Minds was my like. Yeah, that was the show I liked out of the three you named. <laughs> yeah, so I was doing these TV shows, and Malcolm in the Middle too was another big one we did. That was a good show too. And so I ship it off, and I and also I'm like week or a couple of weeks go by, and I'm like, did they ever get it? Whatever happened. Oh, no. So I tap on my boss's desk. Uh, I go, hey, Lonnie. He's like, yeah. I go, hey, did you ever get that body? The mummy? He's, he looks at me and goes, oh, I didn't tell you? I'm like, no. Oh, no. He goes, Ted, sit down and close the door. I'm like, okay. So I sit down and close the door. And Lonnie goes, uh, Vinny, our prop master in New York, they shipped this body to a real museum because they're shooting the scene in a real museum. Oh, okay. So it shows up and the producers there, the directors there, the prop masters there and the museum curious are there and there's like three of them. So they crack the crate open and they pick up the body's bag, zip, they unzip it and pull the body out and the museum curious go <gasps> and they freak and they freeze and they stare at it and they're looking at it and they get closer and they're touching it and they look up and say, if we did not know this was a prop we would think this is a real mummy. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. They flipped. Okay. They flipped out. They were so flipped out by it. So anyway, they're like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" So anyway, the prop master who hired us for the job, he's a rock star. The producer turns to him and goes, "This is amazing!" And the director goes, "This is wonderful!" So they're all shaking his hand and patting him on the back, and the museum kids are all smiling, patting his back. They call Lonnie. They praise Lonnie. Lonnie's like, and he's like, "Lonnie, you goddamn you motherfucker! You made us a rock star! Thank you! Thank you! Thank you!" So this entire conversation. 
through everything. The one person that did not get mentioned is you. Is the, the guy person who, who made the fucking oh. the, the, the guy that made it. So God damn it, I hate that. I, and here's the thing. Here's the highlight of this entire story. Is I laugh because I love telling that story because that was my career for 30 years um, in the movie industry. Well, I should subtract because you know with Netflix and now with with YouTube and Facebook, uh, 25. I'd say 25 plus years. No. 20, I think about 27 years into my career, I was, that was what we do. We were the guys behind the curtain. Yeah. There's that great line from the Wizard of Oz, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah, exactly. And that's the God's honest truth. That's what we were. We were soldiers. And it wasn't just me. We all were. All those effects guys and sculptors and Steve Wang and um, uh, all these great guys I worked with over the years. Um that were a phenomenal uh, sculptors on my buddy. Well, yeah, because the only person who's going to get the praise is the prop master. Yeah, and then the movie, and the higher, ups. higher ups, and the higher ups and stuff. And so, and the prop making world was at times 10. So for all those, and especially in makeup, you kind of get, you at least get credit. And makeup guys who sculpt and get paid, they at least get credit for sculpting. Um, and well, I, but not the whole team. The sculpting master will get the credit. Well, no, and makeup, no, makeup was pretty good. They're pretty good okay. about that, giving people sculpting credit. But anyway, for the prop world, no. We got oh, zero wow. because prop prop master which i always think is very funny it's it's I mean, it's kind of like an oxymoron because prop master the guys who are prop masters don't build props they're overseers and and you know, they're, they're furniture movers they don't really <laughs> they just don't they, they don't build stuff they just show up movers. yeah they're, over, like they're, they're overpaid furniture movers and i know the prop or, master uh, it's the tech world middle management middle management yeah they're middlemen so and what ended up happening was uh, that story was so great because that was my life. It has been for years, for decades of doing it. And then what had happened was the birth of Facebook and the birth of like, oh, I can put pictures up. And when Facebook came out, I started putting photos up. And finally, a friend of mine, Holly Conrad, she said, Ted, you should just do a separate page. Yeah, you, can, you make your own Facebook make, page. Make, 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 you have your personal page. You should pull all your stuff off and put on, and so I created an evil Ted page. And the evil Ted page, I started building this fan base. And it got to a point where I'm thinking, well, there's people actually really... And so I was able to tell that story and post pictures. Of yeah. And so I was able to get accolades for things I've done. And like Star Trek Into Darkness, the, the, the giant con cannon. Oh, shit. Yeah, I made that. I made that for the movie. And the cool thing was about that was that... Which, it was on the screen for like five seconds. Yeah. And I'd laughed about that because... Before then, that was never an issue, and now when the, and, and had all these pictures, but now I had a format to put things on. So the birth of the Evil Ted page on Facebook started blowing up, and I started realizing yeah, people are just yeah, it's neighbors just, like there's just neighbors upstairs. I've said this on several podcasts. No matter where I do a podcast, there's always going to be background sound that we cannot cut out, yeah, and exactly. you just have to deal with. So. Yeah, and so I did a page. I saw a foundation. People started liking it. And I started like, this is fun. And then I started seeing people doing cosplay, and that was the birth of my. Well, YouTube. see, I want to ask that first though. Was um, since you did freelance and for a company, which did you prefer? Oh, I here's the thing. Uh, I, I they called golden handcuffs is a going joke we say in the industry. You get trapped, and what ends happening is that I was at a point in my career where I literally almost quit. I was almost done. And this was when you were contracting? No, or, uh, no, 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 when I was contracting. When I was contracting okay. before I made my movie. Okay, freelancing, sorry. We'll say freelancing. Yeah, so freelancing. when I was freelancing, I was done. I was burned out. Okay. I was really trying to... There's a, I had a friend that worked in uh, for a phone company, 
and they wanted to bring me in, like help me help them design phones and teach me how and to. You were like, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, I was like, they're gonna teach me CAD and 3D printing, like how to CAD stuff and build files and what. Because I had an artistic style and design. Like my friend wanted to bring, and I was seriously considering it because I would get medical coverage, dental, all this stuff covered for this company. Uh, and that was when um, my friends came into some money and said, Hey, would you like to make a movie? Would you Would you like to direct a film? Oh, awesome! And what that did was that pulled me out of the um, the toxicity of the freelance lifestyle because I got tired of hunting for a job. I was getting older and working. My Constantly ass, putting your portfolio out there. Out there yeah. And yeah. it got to a point where, and it was fun. It got to a point where it took me seven years to build up a portfolio. Here's the going joke. Was it seven years to get a portfolio I was actually proud of. Yeah. But then I started building a reputation and my name. So when I come in and go, Hey, oh, hey, Ted, we hear you're available. Well, great. I'd show up on my portfolio. They go, oh, yeah, no, you're good. You don't need to, yeah. They wouldn't even look at it because they knew who I was. Because you have a reputation. Now. And also the interview was so small that we all worked with each other so much that people knew who I was. And the, and people, and the movie industry is that small. That's why you always say, do not shit in your own backyard because it'll, it'll don't bite. do that anywhere. Anywhere really, because like. it'll bite you. And in Hollywood, it was so small that every time I traveled or go on set, I knew somebody. So it didn't matter where I went because I've been in it for so long. I was a veteran. And by that time, by the time I had a book that I was really proud of, nobody even looked at it because I had my reputation. So I'm like, okay, great. But Wait, you wrote a book too? Oh, uh, no, I haven't. Okay, no. <laughs> That's my next thing. Oh, um, wow, shit. Th- but after doing this. What don't you do? No. After doing this, I was kind of like, I'm done. And then I, that film kind of regained my faith back into why I did what I did because it was fun. And it so it's still the passion in you to keep doing it. I still it, have the so passion. Yeah. So I did the film, and the film took about two years to make. I did it That's for, actually a short film then because films can take three longer. Yeah. They could take 10 years to make. Yeah. With dealing with studios, getting finances. Actors, yeah. props. Two years, in a nutshell, roughly three three years because we shot it in a year, spent a year in post, and then the rest of the following year was just trying to get to sell it, and we sold and it. Since it was your movie, you had full control over editing, or was uh, it- no? We yeah, well, kind of. It's I, I was learning as I was going. And my friend Wyatt was the editor on the film. He edited, it and uh, he was my co writer. Okay, and he helped me. We watch it now. I would like I would I would I would cut twenty minutes out of it easily. It's it's too long. How long is it? It's oh my god, it's almost like. like like 140 it's almost an hour it's like almost two hours so you need like 120 oh my or... god easily I okay. can, and I could do it too I, I, know, I know exactly what I'd cut it's it. It's when you and that's my only thing if you people go out there and find it I think it's on YouTube by now you can just type in guard, Guardian of the Realm okay oh, I'm actually going to write that down yeah Guardian yeah, <laughs> Guardian, Gar, Gar, Guardian of the Realm and it's about uh, demon hunters in Los Angeles fighting it's basically as a Jap, as a Chinese or Japanese film called Wicked City Oh yeah, I know that one. And I and it, I love that film. And I so when they came to me for a movie, I had this really elaborate script of the sci-fi post-apocalyptic girl, cyber girl walking the wasteland to avenge her father's death. These three cyborgs that killed her father. Yeah. And oh my god, it would cost a fortune. Oh well, and, I want to make or Battle Angel Alita. That, that's what I've been waiting for. That well, James I, Cameron was going to make took, it. He's like, never mind. I'm going to make uh, five more of my. Wait, wait for this. Well, they're making it now. Yes. Is it still James Cameron? Uh, he's producing. Who's going to be in charge of... Robert Rodriguez is directing. Oh, motherfucker, yes. Okay, so he's directing it. Uh, Jim's overseeing it, and I got called to work on it. Oh, no way! Yeah. So you're going to... No, I turned, oh. it, I turned it down. Why? Because I'm done. Uh, oh, yeah, you, you were saying Cause, that. Yeah, because people... But, that, guys didn't realize but, I had a conversation about me leaving this industry, so... Yeah, sorry, maybe we were talking about that was off to uh, like we, as we were walking into my place, we were talking about. But 
I want to get into that in a second, but let, let's backtrack a little bit. Go. Uh, how? So for cosplay and conventions and all that, what was your first introduction to like the convention world and the it, whole? I, well, I'm guessing you've been going to conventions for a while. Here's the thing. You said that uh, growing up as a kid, I I went to my first convention was Archon in, in St. Louis, and okay. they and they still and they're still going strong in St. Louis. Uh, it's a uh, Midwest convention, and Archon's been going out. I guess they just had their fortieth. Okay. I feel bad. I just I just came back from the convention. Uh, they they brought me out. It was amazing. It was a fun. I had a blast. Um, it was my first introduction, and the costume thing wasn't it wasn't like it was it is now. Oh no! And when I was growing up as a kid, cons I was still a movie, and so when I I didn't come. I did it when I was young, and then it stopped when I left St. Louis and came okay. out and worked in Hollywood. I've never been to a con since, and so it wasn't until I started doing my YouTube channel. And start oh, making okay. and start so doing Facebook page and YouTube and, do, and then also and then people are like going, you should come to a con, Ted. I'm like, oh, okay. So I went to my first con, which was Long Beach Comic Con. Oh wow, that nice. was and that was one of the first ones I started going what to. What year? Oh my god, it was like a couple of years. I think I met you on my second or that third. was this past year. So. Was was it last? That was my second. Oh wow, okay. That so you, you just recently got introduced to the cosplay cons, world and, and started doing cons again. Yes. Oh, and, wow. now, and now I've, now I'm, I've done BlizzCon. I've done uh, Long Beach Comic Con. I did Emerald City Comic Con. Oh, wow. And now I'm going to go, I went to Germany for Epicon. That was a blast. Damn. Uh, Epic, getting around everywhere now. Well, huh? Epicon was, this is when I started realizing <sighs> that um, uh I came home one day and I had an email from this convention. It was my first one that actually approached to me and said, we would like to bring you out. Yeah. And this is my first, like, we will fly you out, put you in a hotel. I thought, oh, fantastic. So as I'm reading this email, I'm like, yeah, totally. Like, I wasn't really paying attention. I was like, this sounds great. I will go. And I started looking at it and I finally realized it said Frankfurt. I'm like, wait, Frankfurt, Germany? Germany? And I wrote back and said, oh my God. And they're like, yes, Frankfurt, Germany. I'm like, okay. So it was... Um, I went to my first overseas con, and uh, apparently, I'm really well known in Germany. Well, okay. First of all, we've already talked about some of the movies you've worked on, right. some of the work you've done. You had the Facebook channel. Yes, you're probably pretty big everywhere. Yeah, but I was, <laughs> but here's the thing: so funny. I was not known for my movie work. I was known for my YouTube cosplay work, and that's what, Germ oh, that's what wow. Germany. Okay. Germany was like, oh wait, like when people found out me, they were kind of like the whole movie thing was a secondary thing. Oh, you worked in the movies? That's cool. And like. Then it became more interesting. You really died the whole time. <laughs> People mostly knew me from my cosplay and I liked it. And so I eventually, I'm going to start making, I realize that that's something that would be fun to really expel on. So I'm going to start doing more, um, well, amongst doing everything, I'm going to try to make a videos about more about my movie industry work. So people seem to be fascinated oh, by it. Oh, nice. Okay. So I'm going to start doing YouTube channels about the, all the things that were like, I'm thinking about doing a YouTube channel like, like here's this movie and this is what I did. Or here's yeah. this movie, what I did. And start doing like a little, video presentation of each film I worked on and things I've done. And I knew there's a huge fan base for Giver. Um, so I'm in the process. I, I am, I'm in a process of trying cause Bill Duran did a book. Kamui cosplay does a book and these, and people have these amazing books on foam fabricating. And I look at these books. I'm thinking, what can I do to improve this? It's like, not much really. I have my own technique and to do a book on, I said, I would like to do, what can I bring to the book world that would be unique? And so I'm going to do, 
I want to do Wait, a book. Wait, you talk about it? Like, are you are you in a book deal? I don't uh, know. No, is no. Is there anything you can't disclose? No, this is. That? Okay, I just no, want, no. I want to make sure before you. No, say no, it, no so. there's no book deal. This is the process. I'm basically putting this book out myself. Okay, okay. So, uh, and I'm basically want to make a book called Behind the Scenes with Evil Ted. And I want to do a book about my entire film career and all the movies I worked on and behind the scenes and show, like, never, saw, never before seen photos of things and things I'm making. And so, try to make a kind of like a coffee table book and have all these great photos and stories awesome. and have stories behind what yes, I did. Yes, please do that. that would be, I definitely buy it 100%. See, there you go. <laughs> like, so what the, my, the market. <laughs> thank you. My plan, my plan is to kind of do a rough outline and reach out to my fans. Like, if I do this book, would you guys get it? Like, yes. So. I'm saying yes. Okay. Right. There's one <laughs> and, vote. And, and, I got one I, vote. Thank I, you. I, I don't have any people ever like comment on my page to tell me in person what they feel of kind of geeky, but they never comment on my page. Comment about this. If you want to see Evil Ted's books, yes, please reply and Let I'll me. send them to him. So that way he sees a list of people going, yes, make the fucking book. And I want this photo and this photo. And okay. Thank you. I will do my best. So, Thank uh, j- just for that real quick, cause I don't like, it's already been an hour. I don't want to keep you too much longer. And we messed up the first time. So, um, did you take photos from all your props from oh wow I the tried, category I, of stuff you must have must I, be here's the sad thing the fifth element was the biggest heartbreaker and I'm gonna out this woman out I can't remember her last name but we were model makers on the show fifth element yeah and there's a real strict thing about Luke Passan was like I don't want any pictures getting out yeah and I what know. happened at the time Batman Returns was going on at the time and um because I worked on Batman Returns. Oh, I'm sorry. I was about to shit on it. <laughs> and it yeah. Here's the thing with Batman Returns. Batman Returns visually looks great. I love Catwoman and Penguin. But Bat... Oh, no. Sorry. That's a good one. I was... The Batman Forever. Oh, the Val Kilmer. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. Val Kilmer. That was horrible. Yeah. yeah. So Batman Returns That's was... That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, Wait, what did you work on that real quick? Uh, I, I did the Penguins. We did Penguins oh, on Oh, awesome. Well, because the Penguins were actually animatronic puppet yeah, penguins. Yeah, yeah. And we did that stuff on it. I was a puppeteer on that. Um the funny story was a Polaroid got out of Danny DeVito and his penguin makeup and Tim Burton was like, like lost his mind because back in the area, it's so hard to do things secretly, you know. Yeah, these days. Back these days. Drones, everybody, but... everybody got damn phones. You yeah. can take a picture. Um, but, but back it, then, like, yeah, no, the close So sets. on Fifth Element, uh, I've always photographed everything I worked on and yeah. I have photos and photos and so Fifth Element, that's, that's, our, that's our bread and butter. We photograph as model makers. We photograph what we're working on. Some of the show is over. We can show people. This is what I did. And here's what I did. So anyway, on Fifth Element, Luke Passan freaked out about pictures getting out. And he doesn't want any pictures coming out. No, no, no. So it was a $40,000 fine. Like if anything came out, like, and it was traced back to digital domain, they would have to pay $40,000 penalty fees. So no pictures, no pictures. And we're like, okay, I understand. I'm not going to, I'll just take the film take pictures you guys can hold on to the 35 millimeter film roll the end of it, yeah. and then just give it back to me exactly no they wouldn't go for it they wouldn't go for it I'm like I'm like dude this is our livelihood oh no we have people taking pictures oh we have people don't worry we'll give you pictures when the show's over bullshit bullshit and they did how many yeah see how many people heard that story right <laughs> lies 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 so what ended up happening was intellectual property is yeah, not ours yeah so what ended up happening was we busted our asses and I brought my camera in I'm like, fuck that. Exactly. I am brought my camera in. And I'm not going to do anything until the film's out. So I'm popping shots, popping shots, taking pictures. And this girl, Olivia, goes, Ted Like brought... you would normally do. Right, like so... I always do. And one of the fellow model makers, Olivia, goes, uh, Ted brought a camera. Who are these people? Who are these people? And so my boss, Leslie Eckert, comes up to me and goes, Ted, I completely understand. I'm su- I support you and what you're trying to do because I'm with you. I think it's stupid too. Yeah. 
but you got to give me your camera. I'm sorry. And even my boss, the model shop supervisor said, I'm sorry. He, he understood. He was kind of in my reign. He was, but he took it. Did he give it back to you? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I did. I, no, they, I had, I didn't get any shots yet. Oh, I mean, I brought it in to do all, I, I brought in to do all that. <laughs> yeah. So all these great fifth element guys, you can thank Olivia who I'll find her name. That doesn't get her last name. I couldn't wait to out her out because she ratted me out. I'll so, her too. Yeah, like so she, <laughs> she's the sole purpose why you guys have no behind the scenes photographs of fifth element. Cause I would have shot the shit out of that oh, movie. That, yeah. Cause that movie's all, like, it was, we knew when we were working on it, we took pictures. You named a couple other movies in there. Like your plethora of amazing movies that you've worked on. It just sounds great. Like I'm, I'm tr- I have but some, I understand how you say like you're getting out of that beast now. Hey, give that whole will you explain Hollywood because that is awesome <laughs> and I want to get into a couple other things and then end because like we're at an hour now but... okay fair enough we don't want to wear people out um, I think I'll keep it like you, I'm just listening I'm sitting here geeking out just listening to you okay, so I well, hope everyone else is having a geeky time so. uh, here's a good way to segue into the story to wrap it up was I like you too I love Alita Battle Angel and when I heard about Jim Cameron doing it I was so excited so much that I found out about it and I cosplayed um, Ido, oh, yeah, and I, I saw dr- that photo. and I got Holly Conrad to be Holly uh, to be Battle Angel Alita, and I heard about the movie. I said, Holly, Holly, I want to collaborate. Let's do a cosplay together, and you do the bodysuit and the wig. I'll make the arms and the knee pads. Oh my god! So Holly was like, okay, and so I gave Holly the book. She educated herself on it, and she said, oh, this character's really cool. So we cosplayed together. We dressed up. We went to uh, it was anime. Expo at uh, it was uh, last year. Okay, yeah, yeah. And it was in uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, Anime Expo, Anime Expo. So overcrowded. Oh my god! Hot. Yeah, miserable. So we did it. We had a blast. We did a lead, and then we got done. We did a photo shoot. As a matter of fact, guys, if you guys want to see the photos, they're all on my website, eviltedsmith.com. You can go to my work. Oh, we should have did that first. <laughs> no worries. We're gonna close off with all your. Links Don't worry. To go, to, go there. So. Great pictures of I just as Lita. Anyway, years later. I'm working. Uh, I've got my YouTube channel. I've got my Twitch stream. I'm busy. I'm having a great time. I got called by K&B Effect Shop uh, because they got Alita, Battle Angel. And they contacted me and said, Ted. I'm like, hello. I'm like, hey. How you been? How you been? <laughs> hey, how you doing, man? Hey, look. We just got Alita, Battle Angel. And... And, and they started I said guys you don't have to go into it I know the entire story premise yeah and they okay you know, you know in the world there's all these people steampunk cyber people in this other sh- hunter warriors yeah, hunt, yeah. In, this, in this like shanty town and everybody has mechanical limbs and said we need a shitload of background costumes and oh we, my god and we want you to foam fabricate and come up with patterns and make all these background characters because we're shooting this thing in Texas and we need you to crank it because they have the they're Texas gonna, fits. Yeah, because yeah. it's where Rodriguez, you know, Rodriguez lives. But also the, the studio world. It's a desolate desert almost. Too, Probably shoot so, there, yeah. right? So when if they go to him uh, and they're telling me this whole scenario, and and they know they want me to build, and, and as they're describing this to me, I'm thinking they want me to come in for an interview. I like this. They they don't want. They just said, "Can you come in for an interview?" And I said, "I can't." And they're like, "What?" I said, "I'm I'm." I'm literally, I am booked. Yeah. I'm unavailable. And yeah. I'm like, what? Do you, well, can you just come in for an interview? I said, okay, can we just cut to the chase, guys? I said, what, the interview is the point to where if you come in and interview me, I can nod my head and leave. And you say, and you call me back next day and say, we get, you got the job. Yeah. That's misleading. Exactly. If I come into an interview, it's for you to get me for the job. I don't, I can't. I'm just telling you right now, I can't come to the interview. And they're like, you sure? You sure? And I said, yeah. And it, the best part about it was when I hung up, 
the phone, it felt good. This, this is this great though, yeah. because here's what happened went through my brain is that I've worked for this company before. I've worked in not just KMB, just this is the industry standard of movies. You start off with eight hours, you start working for eight hours, then it turns into ten hours, it turns into fifteen hours, then it turns to sixteen hours, and you're like and you're like you start doing these long days and they want all this stuff out of you to everything be golden. So when it's happening, you start building stuff and then they start going faster and faster and they start screaming at you because, wait a minute, this stuff doesn't look as good. Like, yeah, because you're not giving me the time to make the stuff I need to. And they hire, they hire more people and the people you're working for aren't as good as you are. So you're trying to micromanage and supervise. So you're doing this job and you got two other people who are younger and are working and they're fabricating, but not as good. And uh, and then everybody's screaming at you to, where are these problems? Where are the costumes? Oh, we need six more background costumes. Well, I got these guys done. Yeah, well, they added five more people. Oh, so, and then next thing you know, you're in this giant nightmare. And when it's all done, it turns out all that blood, sweat, and tears you put into something, you're one of a toggle and a gear of a giant machine called Hollywood. And so granted, sure, you had the honor to work on this movie. Sure, you got to make some costumes and a couple things you got to get in there that were yours. But overall, you're just one in a drop in an ocean of, of everything. And after a while, I was like, it's just not that fun. It's not that rewarding. And then the results is like, eh, done. And I've done it for so long. That's true. And you're only just one of the 80 billion mini scrolling credits right. on the screen. And like... after all that, I've realized I have a Twitch stream. I stream Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. I stream on Thursdays from noon to 2. I got YouTube videos. All that would all that would stop. Everything would freeze. Because you be... have to do that. Yeah. And, and when I make this show, I would be off the grid, I'd say, three to four or five months making a movie. Just to do... And then when it's all said and done, what do I got to show for it? Eh. So you lose followers. I lose, follower, lose, everything. lose everything. And I said, at this point right now, I can't because I in return now, I love teaching. I love teaching people. And that gives me such a satisfaction of teaching people how to make stuff. And people now are on my Twitch channel are subscribing. I got, I can partner with Twitch. Okay. And people are giving me money. They're subscribing to my channel. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, these people are giving me money to keep doing what I love doing. And in return, I have an obligation to these people. If they're going to give me money, I have to return, give something back, and yeah. they want knowledge. In my return, I have to have an obligation, and my rolling obligation is to keep making content. And I feel like your your role of being a teacher and inspiring people and showing people like that's going like cosplay is only still growing. This bubble will pop eventually, but it's still growing. Right. So people are going to keep asking you for more knowledge. So and yeah. I and I have tons, and I'm not running out, and I got so much content to give, and so I want to keep doing it. And to the idea of stepping away from that to go yeah. back to that. No, they're both your passions, but you're more passionate about this, this now. And yeah. I love this. And I like, and it's still the prop making or costume building. Making. Co- yeah. All and that. now it is the best part. I get to make what I want exactly, to make. Yeah. And go to cons and cosplay what you want to make. With, and yeah. right. And it's so freeing. And if I worked and don't get me wrong, guys, there's a little, there's a little part of me that died because I love battle angel so much and grew up in the oh comic book and the, and, and the manga <laughs> so much. That James Cameron, like when I, I, I go, like, yes, I'm gonna do it. Wait, never mind. Yes, I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, don't wait 20 years and do the anime. I've wanted to see my. Well, life. you know what? What happened was is but, 20th Century Fox said we bought the rights and you gotta yeah, make well, this. I, no, I know because it di- disappeared on VHS and Blu-ray or DVD for a while. They couldn't make the Blu-ray because the licensing battle that was going on. Yeah, I was trying to buy it and I couldn't buy it for six years because of that bullshit. Right. So when he said I'm making Avatar and release some stuff, it actually, they could actually make it a Blu-ray. Right. I was like, thank God, because I, I tried to explain. Like I told people about the anime, and they're like. 
I don't even know where to find it. And I'm like, I swear, like you're telling it's people, on YouTube. people like it's yeah. crazy. Like yeah. you're just crazy. You've, you've never seen this anime. It's not real. I'm like, no, I swear it's real. Uh, but to finish up, I want to get on uh, the one kind of geeky topic where like, I, I don't want to go into video game history because I want to get your history, but that's go. something else. If you come back, we can touch on that. But uh, movies, since that is your main thing. What are uh, some of the most recent movies you've seen? A scene? Yeah, like in theaters or uh, like rented. Oh or... my God. Um, I'll tell you what, it could grief. There's, I, most recent, there's films I, I see that I just was talking about. There's a movie called Moon with Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Have you seen that? No. Okay. You need to see that. I'm going to tell your fans. There's a movie called well, Moon. Well, you're telling them right now. So uh, no. I'm, sorry. Hi, I'm sorry, guys. Hi. Uh, go see Moon with Sam Rockwell. It's this great little science fiction gem that nobody really saw. Okay. And it was, it's, it was amazing. And it blew me away. Um, but there's... Is that Sam Rockwell, right? Yeah, Sam I Rockwell. I like him. So, He's great yeah. in it. Uh, uh, a really twisted sci-fi film with Scarlett Johansson called Under the Skin. Oh, okay. It's a foreign film. Oh. And she plays an alien that eats people. And it's... So a species. But darker and better. Okay. It's it's really good. Um, but anyway, I just recently saw, and I I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, what? but um, I saw Power Rangers. Oh, and was Saban's Power Rangers, and, <laughs> Back right? To Saban, right? And, and I was actually with. I went and saw this last night with my assistant Brap. Okay. And uh, I tease her. Her name's Cecily. Um, yeah, look, Brap. Brap. Anyway, <laughs> she talked. I'm like, I went to go see Logan, and said, "Hey, let's go." See. And she goes, ah, "I already saw it." So I'm like, well, I want to go see it. I'll have to see it later. Uh, she goes, you know, it's out, Ted. I'm like, what? She goes, Power Rangers. I'm like, Ugh. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, okay. So my assistant dragged me to go see, well, I had her and her friend Joe. We're going to go see Power Rangers. I was so pleasantly surprised. It was fun. It had a sense of humor. It had heart. I teared up a couple times in it. I got mostly invested. And it ended with a bang. And the... The actress, oh my God, uh, who plays Rita, um, oh my God, Rita Rapunza, um, villain. Wait, is that her? Oh, 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 God damn it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, uh, she's so good. She crushed it. She was. She almost stole the show. Oh God, she's been in everything. Catherine too. Heigl? No, 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 no. Um, looks like her. Uh, blonde. She wasn't Hercules? Or she wasn't Hercules, but she's... Uh, oh God, oh, I, oh my God. Name. She was just in... Uh, Evil Dead too. Uh, no, yeah. no, no. That's that's that's, that's Bridget. No, it's not her. Um, no, uh, she was. Oh, I feel so terrible. Anyway, long story short, guys. I'll look it up as you keep talking. How about uh, the that? actress? The actress <laughs> from uh, played the new Power Ranger movie who played Rita. Um, is she was amazing in it, and she stole the show. But anyway, a long story short was Saban. Yeah, that's taking too long. Anyways, <laughs> Saban. Uh, yeah, the right side made the movie. Um, my only beef. In the entire film was just the design of the of the Megazord robot, which is it's CG. Not, not the actual like outfits they had to wear too. Those yeah, looked a, they're a little, little overdone. Yeah, uh, it was again like. But uh, is it okay? Is it a definitely a watching the theater movie? Yes, for everyone. Yeah, like, go see it. Yes, it's okay. It's, it's, it's even a, if you're not a fan of because I only watched the first original season of it, so I'm not the. Well, fan. my thing is that I love these people. These kids are like, oh, the movie. I'm like, guys, anything. From that TV show's an improvement. It was yeah. a cheesy. Oh, it was a cheesy. It was a yeah. cheesy let's, let's, let's get realistic, guys. It was like a cheesy show that they bought from Japan 
they remod for America. And ripped off Voltron. Yeah, and, and ripped off everything else. And just, it's like, but it's just a, well, Japanese all have giant robots. Yeah, true. Um, so but the four tigers was a total rip off of Voltron. That was the, that was the whole thing. But if you go to, if you, ch- if you go into Japanese folklore, there's, there were so many shows before Voltron that there's, there, well, I think there's Voltron. Five so, Voltrons. There's such a wide, yes. There's exactly. the Voltron yeah. of Cars in Space. Yeah. There's the two tiger ones. There's the other weird one that never really made it. Right. So there's. Yeah. But so many shows, but the fun story show was that the movie was spectacular. It was okay. fun. And they basically focused it. And that's in theaters like right now. Right so now. Like, it's just right now. And the movie just covered, it's about heart, dedication, friendship, and love. It's just about, it's about how we are as friends and trusting each we other. we should actually act in this society. Yeah, and how to, <laughs> how to look out for each other and have each other's backs and have what, friends. What movies are you looking forward to coming out this year? Oh my God. Uh, I'm, uh, like, you don't have to go all the way to the uh, next couple Ghost in the Shell. Um, really? Seriously? Yes. I'll tell you why. Why? Because Ghost in the Shell, it, oh, sorry. Is Ghost in the Shell, this is, I know, this not, is, not my major. Everybody's, everybody's such a huge fan, I fair, is that, okay, Here's my thing. I said, guys, they make movies to make money. They're I not, understand uh, that. And they're not going to cast some unknown Asian actress or Asian pop star. Or, but, but, okay, but, I understand that too, but I've seen a long commercial now. But, but, we can, but can I say something else too? Is yeah, that sorry. It's that all those shows, they draw girls to be Anglo-Saxon, American-looking women. And to me, Scarlett Johansson looks like the character from Ghost in the no. Shell. And I know we can debate back and forth. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but my point thing is, I, I, that's not my issue. My issue is that there... This film, if it was not for Spielberg, who loved this back and he bought the rights to Ghost in the Shell in the nineties. Oh uh, wow. Yeah, he bought he's had this for years. Oh wow. And the studios would not give him money for the longest time. Spielberg had he was gonna remake it as a digital movie. So he, he had to put Scarlett Joe for it to go. Well, what it, what it happened was it was just that he Spielberg, even Spielberg, as powerful he is and a huge success rate, he still has to go through the studio system. And so Spielberg got the rights for Ghost in the Shell ages ago, like, like from eighty, like eighty nine nineties. And my, before I came out to California, I remember reading about this. There's a big hoopla, and the fans like, oh, Spielberg got the rights; he's going to ruin it. And like, and Spielberg had it for so long that he was trying to do it as a. He thought about remaking an animated, like CG version of the yeah. movie, and that didn't happen. Well, okay, but what ties does like is Spielberg? Did he? he write loved, it? No, did he, he, you know, he he loved the project. He loved the concept of it so much. He wanted to do something with it. But I think in the in like. The same thing with Jim did with uh, with Battle Angels that he's taking the concept of it. Jim's not doing verbatim; he's doing his adaptation. Jim wrote a screenplay based on the Elite of Battle Angel to where he what he loves. So it. it's the world, but not the story, is what you're saying. Some of it they're bringing about bits and pieces of it, and Spielberg did the same thing with Ghost in the Shell. I like Ghost in the Shell, but I have problems with the movie and I had problems with the series. But they combined both of them, and so I know that Spielberg. Is doing that, but hired uh, got a, a writer. My only concern with this movie is is that the one thing they kind of threw me off. But I'm I, I'm not gonna. Uh, Have you seen it already? No. Okay. <laughs> I just read a lot about okay, it. Okay, gotcha. And uh, what I'm gonna hold my breath on is that the things that concern me was uh, in Ghost in the Shell, the original Ghost in the Shell, cybernetics is, is kind of an everyday flair, yeah, and yeah, everybody yeah. has them. And they did this whole twist where she's the first full cyber person. That, okay. And, and that threw me off completely. And I'm thinking, why? And I realized they did that for the story of the script they're writing. There's some story I, point. I know, but then don't call her the major because that's not the major. So they changed. Well, they didn't. They changed. Her, so she's technically not really the major because they changed the name of the girl 
she's in the movie, so she's not actually the major that we know. So I kept thinking. So, the so fuck? My, and then my my and my spinning thing is it falls back to Prometheus, where really Scott was like, well, this is not really a prequel. And then don't 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 call it an don't put yeah don't call it aliens prequel like don't no, call no don't put the name on it like call yeah. it just cybernetic future yeah like, so just... anyway so I I love the concept of Ghost in the Shell I'm still gonna go see it call it Think Tank. <laughs> so we'll see yeah. I, I I'm like I'm you. holding my breath I like I said about uh, ec- uh no sorry Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad oh. I'm gonna see it just to shit on it so that's probably well, how Bat- Batman and Superman uh, I had friends that worked on it so I went to go support them and watch it and what a mess it was bad that was an awful mess and but then, I want to like I'm going backwards a bit on yeah, stuff sure, sure. hey we'll stop because I can rant we'll go yeah we can we, rant we'll, on we'll that do, no, that's another podcast <laughs> that's a whole podcast right there I go. Uh, what, else, what other uh, movies are you looking forward to this year uh, the ones uh, here's the weird thing about it was is um, good god it's like I'm so out of the loop because what happened was when I worked the movie industry, Guardians. Uh, well, Guardians. Oh, dude. Okay, tell you what. Guardians of Galaxies is just that's that's simple math. That's that's popcorn movies. I love those movies. Yeah, it's an enjoyable. And, and I always tell people like that's not rocket science. That's 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 okay. A pop- what about Spider Man? Spider Man. I'll tell you what. Imagine is a reboot again. And I'll tell you what. I would have been the if if I not if I did not see trailers and clips from the new Spider Man, I would have been like anybody else in the soapbox. I'm like I'm done. I've gone over Spider Man. But what I like about Spider Man is that they really stripped it down to bare bones, and made Peter Parker a young high school kid. He is a kid, and what I love about it is that he's a youngster. He got these powers, and he's a bit of a dork, and he's not really good at it, and he's new. How and, he's supposed to be, and how he's supposed and to he be. And the web shooters again. And, yeah, and it's like and they brought back this whole, and they said they really brought back the comic book feel of the boy genius um, kid. It, it really feels like Amazing Spider-Man. Like we're yeah, actually getting back and the got, comic book version of Amazing Spider-Man. And what happened? Spectacular. Or what happened? Peter Parker Spider-Man. What happened was that Marvel got it. Marvel got it right. Marvel yeah. got it back because Marvel yeah, did. Sony had it right. Yeah, no, yeah. Sony. No, Sony. Yeah, Sony okay. had it, and they just and. Ugh, it was a mess. And so nobody can do it like Marvel and you've seen the DC films. They still keep crushing it. The only thing I would say is uh, FX is doing really good with Legion, the TV show. Okay. Some of their movies are give and take, but whatever. Uh, but, the, but but their TV, like since Fox owns all mutants right. and I, Marvel's killing off all of the mutants, right. we'll only see mutants with Marvel or with Fox now. So mm-hmm. I didn't mind Days of Future Past. Apocalypse. Oh, I love. I love those. Yeah. Like Apocalypse was good. A lot of people shit on it. Like I like Apocalypse. Psylocke wasn't used to her full potential. That's one thing I'll say. Right. I'm uh, Logan. I want to see still because right. I think that's going to be good. But I mean, they're not as good as the MCU movies, but they're still great fucking movies. And X Men's always been one of my squads. Mine too. So yeah, I like them I'm too. great with that. Uh, to finish up. Since, yeah, right. we're already at an hour fifteen. But uh, what is some of your what is a couple of your niche movies. So a movie that you watch one to three years, if it's on TV, you can't change a channel, just something uh, that's near and dear to you. Okay. And these could change over a five, ten year cycle, but something like right now that's like, I, I always, if it's on, I have to watch it. Galaxy Quest? Yes! Galaxy, it's, it's such a great movie and I cry every time, every time when the young alien guy is, oh God, what's his, Alan Rickman who played, um, his alien. Um, oh yeah, the the one that was by Grathar's hammer. Yes. I will avenge your death. <laughs> yeah. And it was that emotion. And, and that film is such a great roller coaster ride. There was so much talk about them doing a sequel, 
and because it was such a huge fan fest and everybody was together and I love Sigourney Weaver oh, playing yeah, this and, and, and Sigourney Weaver who's a huge sci-fi icon to come back and make a parody of something of sci-fi I know was so wonderful and playing this dingy blonde Tim Allen is yeah, great yeah it was so too. great he crushed it he was great and everybody was so great and everything that thing is on it's such a perfect blend of sci-fi and humor and just yeah. a great movie that one I always watch got a red shirt in it so Blade Runner is always good. I always so do do the original remastered. Or... I like the re remake, the one where they fixed all the shots. Okay. And have you seen that one? Yeah, I have. I owned it, and I, and it really, I love it. I love these guys brought it back so much. These people are such hardcore fans. They got financing and got people to get the money to go back and tweak these scenes. And when you watch the film now. It's so flawless because they got rid of the weird, like, out of sync lip thing with Harrison Ford in the, in the shop. Where well, and like, badly sort of like, dubbed. It, it, it holds up to today. Yeah, it does. That movie already held up. It, yeah, but exactly. now it's like, was that made last month? Like, And also, to you, what's really funny, I, I, again, is Star Wars, the first Star Wars. Every time Star Wars on, it's a treat. I treat myself every year. Okay, so you're watching the edit, edit, edit. Like, I was no, going to no, say the original version. The, the original, the, ori- the original Star. So did Hot Shot shoot first? Uh, yeah, that, yeah, okay. That's the only thing is that I have the VHS ones, but I like watching Star Wars. Oh, so you do have the original? Uh, oh, on VHS, but the thing was. So then you do know Hot Shot first. Yes, he did. Yeah. And the other, okay. and the other thing is so funny too is that if you guys want to know a little bit of the mystery is that George had a he had a divorce that was devastating when his wife left him but she owned, she literally owned every, half of everything he has oh shit so when Star Wars was re-released it was changed a percentage of it so technically it's not hers anymore so it's, he can retain ownership so all these no years of people screaming about all the stuff he changed I think honestly it didn't need to be it didn't need to be changed and I think it was changed just the fact that he does not have to share that with his ex-wife because yeah. it's all his. Well, well, or she could have taken it, sold it to another company. They could have done whatever the hell they wanted with well, it. Well, so. it, yeah, yeah. I just I know the divorce was devastating and literally almost destroyed ILM. Oh, okay. ILM. oh shit. Yeah, that's this, not good. You need ILM. Yeah. They, they're big today. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was back in the days when they in the set. Like, but, so just episode four though that was on or any Star Wars no the first one the one okay. I saw in the theater when I was a kid I love it and I watch it just you gotta understand when you, people don't the right you guys young heads around is that when I was a kid that was in the 70s that was 1977 yep. which meant they made that before there's a couple of years before that so all the tech and the costumes the designs the clothing you watch that film besides the hairdos and maybe a little bit of the fashion you can't tell what era that film is shot it is literally timeless that great. film, yeah. Star Wars, up. with young Mark Hamill, was timeless. Like new kids today will say it looks like crap, but they don't understand. They no. and, and there's the practical effects using it too. Just yeah, it's great, amazing. And, it's beautiful. And that's I had a kind of argument with my roommate just recently. They really, really, really Star Trek, the original Star Trek series that I grew up on watching television yeah. in the '60s. Um, they replaced all the shots of the Enterprise with digital shots of the Enterprise. Really? Because what, what happened was the guys that did it, they re- converted everything. They took all this vintage footage which was shot on video. Yeah. Well, not shot, I'm sorry, shot on film, but they, they cleaned everything up and made it all high def and they took the original visual effects shots and they just did not hold up. They looked oh. like crap and they realized we can't release this. So they had to go back and when you watch it, it's seamless. I watched... The new I'll, have to, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, when you watch yeah, the new Star Trek, the ship it, just looked horrible, especially and, when they're showing the ship flying in space. In the all, all the optics you can see ages. through it, and it's not yeah, really good. Exactly. And it worked well on television back like in the era, but now with the high def quality, they had to go back. And there's all these purists people, they're ruining it. I'm like, guys, no, 
You have to make it watchable. You have to make it watchable. And now when you watch that Star Trek stuff with Shatner and Spock, it looks like it was shot yesterday. And it's gorgeous. And they cut to the Enterprise. I get goosebumps seeing the new polished digital Enterprise come around the planet. I'm like, oh my God. It's like, and and they have the shot, the Galileo shuttle flying out of it now. And And they didn't, here's the thing, it's cool. They didn't reinvent the wheel. They just replaced the shots and digitized them. They made it unbalanced a little bit in some of the shots, but... Uh, the the planet killer. Nothing wrong with that. No, just stuff and that I, needs to be done. It need to be updated. Well, thank you for this. Uh, also, let's talk. You have several sites people can check out your work on. Oh yes, guys, definitely. Yeah, so. guys, go to my website eviltedsmith.com, and when you go there, I have all my videos from YouTube are listed there. Uh, for you cosplayers, I have all my patterns. So if you guys want to shop yeah, well, and want to get a cosplay, I have all my patterns. And if you like what I do and want to keep it going, if you have any an Amazon account. Shop through my Amazon link. If you shop through my Amazon link with no extra cost to you, I get points. Is it Evil Ted on Amazon too? Uh, no, or? no. You just go to my just go to my website and has a link. You click on that, and it takes you right to your account. It won't change anything. Everything will look the same. You just yeah. click to my link. I just get points for that. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So you just click, just go to my site, click on that link. That'll take you through my account. It's like instead of going through your door, go through my door. Yeah. And do, and and therefore, I get points for you guys shop. It just have to be cosplay, could be Christmas supplies, or things for friends. Um, also, I stream on a wonderful thing called Twitch, Twitch Creative. And uh, you guys can catch me on Evil Ted. As you know, it's twitch.tv slash Evil Ted Smith. Okay. And it's at, yeah, twitch.tv, evil, uh, twitch.tv slash Evil Ted Smith. That's Twitch. I stream live. And you guys can come in my chat yeah, room. Like nine to yeah, nine from 11 okay. on Mondays and Tuesdays, Thursdays from noon to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Oh, wow. Yeah, and you guys can, and the cool thing about this, I build live, you guys come in my room, you can chat with me, you can ask me questions. As you're building it? As you're so building, yeah. Give a technique It's right complete. It's, oh, complete interact, awesome. it's completely interactive. And then you also have YouTube, yes. which is Evil Ted. Yes, and, you know, the, and Evil, the Evil Ted show. which is Evil Ted. Right, and matter of fact, you And can, Instagram, which is also Evil Ted. Uh, it's, it's Evil Ted underscore channel, but the cool okay. thing about this, guys, if you go to my website, I have links for all that. Yeah, I, I just like to say, like, oh, okay, you say all of them, that way if someone just goes to Instagram, they'll know, okay, I just have to look up Evil Ted channel. Right. Or, yeah. yeah. Oh, on, on Instagram, it's Evil Ted underscore channel. Underscore channel, channel yeah. But, uh, on, Twitter, to... on Twitter, it's uh, Evil Ted 40. It's a Twitter at Evil Ted 40 okay. on Twitter. Uh, Facebook is uh, Evil Ted. Nice. Well, yeah, just because, like, you, yes, your website's always the easiest way to find it, but someone might only have an Instagram account right. as they're looking at that time. so yeah. that's why I like to throw it all out there and I agree it's wonderful but yeah thank you again hopefully we get you back on again dude I, 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 this no, was a great conversation dude, I, had a I blast. think I geeked out a lot too so. I had a blast as a matter of fact you guys and if I can save that first part where we really went into the Guyver stories, I'll try and add that too. But other than that, we did an hour 25, and I think that's long enough. Fantastic. But... And if you have another subject, I would love to come back. We'll do it again. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Uh, and all the listeners, I hope you enjoyed this. Always remember to stay kind of geeky. Stay geeky. Hello, and welcome to the 77th episode of Kind of Geeky, another interview episode. Wow, two back-to-back in, a, in two weeks, and after a month of almost nothing there. And this one's also a great one I've been waiting for. Uh, I've said it since, I think, December or maybe even October, uh, but I actually have him sitting in my house today. Uh, we have Evil Ted here. Hello. How are you doing today, sir? I am fantastic. I had a wonderful drive. Once again, thank you for coming out and being a part of Kind of Geeky. Uh, like, just talking to you at Long Beach Comic Con last year in the dungeon after party? Yeah, no, which that place was. It was a it's a bank or a secret room. Yeah. I, I don't know. I was hanging out with my friends last night, and they're like, 
You know they're not secret. You could just go in there. Well, not on party nights. Then you have to have secret codes. Yeah, but any, and they were like trying to say it's nothing special. And I'm like, oh, dude, what the fuck? It was kind of cool to it me. Was, it was cool to feel that we were special. And I, the whole reason I think that's why well, I like to keep the mystique. Yeah, Because that made that place much cooler. Still. And uh, it was my friend uh, Chris Gregarious Geek that said, you have to meet this person. Oh. And he, I turn and I meet you. And I'm like, hey, how are you? He's like, he's a problem maker. He's worked on all these films. And I'm like, I think my first thing I was like, so what have you worked on? And you're like, well, I, what was the first thing you said, actually? Uh, Do you remember? Or? I think it was Fifth Element, uh, Guyver. Yeah, I freaked out for Fifth Element, but Fifth I think Element. Was, Guyver was the one that Guyver. I... Guyver. I did, when I first came out uh, in Los Angeles back in 89, the first film I kind of repped. Well, I did this low-budget film, uh, Kung Fu Rascals with Steve Wang. Okay, I don't know that movie. I'll have to look that up. No, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 here's the thing. So many, it was his first independent film. Oh, yeah? And he shot it on Super 8 film. Oh, okay. This was back, and there was no digital high def. Yeah, know, no, so it was strictly film. And Steve loved the film look, and he wanted to make a film. Sixteen millimeter was too damn expensive. He said, "I'm going to make this movie on Super 8." Oh, wow! And I met Steve Wang on Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. I know that movie. And he was sculpting the gargoyle that sits on the post, and not not to, not the suit, but the actual statuette. Yeah, yeah. It was a miniature, and I was part of the miniature crew building the shots of downtown the city and there's these nice motion control shots of the the gargoyle in the city and it was all done in miniatures see that's all i want to get into that and then but like uh uh going back to just meeting you too like i freaked out for guyver because that's one of my absolute favorite films we'll get into your history and all that too but um for uh for guyver for me that was one of the things like when i was a kid i grew up and i saw that film and i hadn't seen the animes yet i had only seen that and just Look, the one main thing, like the Giver unit's great, the Zoinoids are great, but the thing that always intrigued me was the actual Giver unit. Because oh, if it you. wasn't for that, like he wouldn't become the Giver. Mm-hmm. And just seeing it there and how it like formed. That was and you made that. Yes, I did. And that was, <laughs> the thing is so funny about it. I'm so glad people are, were touched by that because that was literally my first real uh, job, the key. And they call it a phrase. Like in the industry, when you're job, when you're in charge of something, you're key. Yeah, you're the key on this job. And so Steve Wang was sculpting the Guyver suit in clay at the time. Okay. And the Guyver unit was this kind of weird mechanical thing in the anime. And Steve turned to me and said, hey, um, that's more like a prop thing. So um, I want you to make it. Like, because I was a model maker. Yeah. And it made more sense for me to do it. And I'm like, oh, fantastic. So I got to take the um, the drawings of the, the cartoon. I did sketches and I did renderings and I kind of did a maquette of it. And as I was doing, Steve would come by and sign off on it. And so basically what I was doing was just trying to mirror the look of the body armor. Yeah. Because in Guyver, the movie was this exo-bug, kind of this texture bug exoskeleton. But it was very, like, both the unit and the suit were very close to mimicking what the anime showed. Right. And so I wanted to do, and the anime was more mechanical, had a smooth finish. And I wanted to match and make it the exoskeleton look on Steve's suit. So I did it on the Guyver unit. And he looked at it, he loved it, he signed off on it. And so I was able to make it, and I came up with this whole technique of making it. And as I was making it, this is the funny story, is that he turns to me and says, oh, yeah, in the film, I made molds, I made casts, I'm making a, a hero one that looks cool and it lights up, and they have a stunt rubber one. Yeah. Because they're going to run around and throw it in the ground. So it, it has to be taken from take, somebody take, and all and, that. Yeah. yeah, and gets knocked to the ground, so I decided to make a rubber one. Uh, and while we're in production, Steve said, oh, um... There's a scene in the alley where Sean gets kicked and he falls on it, and I want it. It sticks to his head, and he flips over, and, and that's I, how it becomes the Giver. And he says, "I want it to spring open." Yeah, 
I want tentacles to shoot out of it. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, and I'm looking at him with my jaw on the floor, like, uh, do what now? What? what, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm 25. I just moved from St. Louis to LA. This was my first real big show. Oh wow! And I was doing, I was doing miniature work, but never really keen and doing effects. I never, did, I never actually did a physical, taking a specific yeah. item for yours. And, yeah, and you're, you're mine. Sharing, Right, sharing and work with other people, and 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 then making this design, and then basically as That's a awesome. as an effects artist, he basically said, "This is what I wanted to do." He didn't tell me how to do it; he just told me that and walked away. And so I'm like, "Oh wow, oh wow!" And I started like freaking out. I thought, "Wait a minute, there's a great gag in a movie called Dawn the Dead, the original Dawn the Dead with <laughs> yeah. Tom Savini." Yeah, and there's a gag where a guy gets a machete in the head, and it was the most horrific gag in the movie. It's a real actor, and he goes, Ugh, and he sticks his machete in this guy's head. And when you actually read how they do it, it was so low tech, it was brilliant. Uh, Tom Savini took a real machete and he took a piece of armature wire on the guy's head and put the curve of the guy's head. Oh, yeah, yeah. The armature, put it on the side of a machete, traced it, took it underneath a, band, a steel bandsaw, cut the scallop out, took, you know, shaved the filings off it, and he would press it against the actor's head. Oh, uh, the real machete. But yeah, the real machete. Yeah, piece. and he put it against the actor's head and, and it would cause action. He would yank it off his head. And they didn't reverse. Oh. So in reverse, the machete goes like 90 miles an hour. Yeah. Right? And it looks like he just wet. And, and when it's pulling away from the camera, he's doing it so quickly that it blurs. You can't, and you can't, you can't see. see it. So then I went, wait a minute, epiphany. I'll do the Guyver U tentacles backwards. So we had a puppet head in the shop that looked very much like the actor. And oh, okay. it was a, a movie called The Bite. It was Screaming Mad George movie. And this guy vomited a giant snake. So he made a fake head of this guy with his mouth open. Oh, wow. So he had it in the shop, but the foam skin was rotted, but he still had the mold. Mm-hmm. So what I was able to do is take, had the guys at the shop run me a foam skin. Okay. Take the foam skin. I was able to paint it, flush it, put it on there and take the fiberglass thing. And I drilled a hole in its head and I put a big tube in it. I had a big tube running through this head. Actually, from the forehead all the way to the back of the head, it was a big empty tube. Okay. And we had a set. Oh, and that's where the unit? Yeah, where the unit would collapse okay. and the tentacles would hide. So I realized we had, so I had to have a, a fake piece of wood and we drilled a hole in it. We put the puppet head on it and I realized wherever we shot the location, I would just dress the flat piece of wood that we cut a hole in to match the ground. Oh. So wherever we shot, which I did not know at the time, we just had a piece of wood if we could dress it later. So I did all that and I had the tentacles. And I had the panels, and I realized the panels had to be open, so I had them on little plastic hinges, and it hinged open, and I had uh, I got some really high tension uh, cable. Yeah. So they were for for model planes and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So you could pull them close. So, yeah, so you can pull. So I had to make sure something would not give out or break on me on oh, set. Oh, good call. So yeah. I've used string. String's good, but if, on set if it breaks. So model the, shops are your best friend, basically. Yeah, model shop and got high tension little cables. Hooked them up to my pant, my little finger things, had it all opened up, had a hole, and I made a bunch of rubber tentacles, and I rubbed them down with uh, silicone, uh, just like slippery, like methicillin and silicone. Okay. But I want to make sure, I didn't want to make them wet, just make them slick so I could pull them in. And so the gag works like this. I had everything laid open, so I had the prop head open, we dressed the body to look like the guy on the ground. He was in an alley, so we just took gravel and dirt and covered the yeah. ground. They yeah. put the camera, and when they called action, I would yank the cables. They'd go flying in, and in second, I would pull the string. The panels would close, and I had it inside the bottom of the tube was the orb. I would slowly push it upward to the top. Oh, wow. So when they called action, you saw it all in reverse. Dome dropped, panels shoot open, tentacles, 
That's I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch that now. So it's, <laughs> it's and it's so low tech when you watch it, uh, and it's so funny. A, a fan wrote to me on Instagram, and I told the story on Matt Munson's pod, uh, Matt, Matt Munson's channel, uh-huh. and I told the story, and the guy was, oh my god! So he went. And did it himself. Oh, no way. And he posted on Instagram. And I showed the picture. I'm like going, that's a really cool show. What's that from? He goes, oh, I made that after watching. Oh, that's <laughs> after, awesome. So a fan <laughs> reproduced that shot. And I thought, fantastic. I well, I mean, like you said, you got it from someone else's technique. So someone you took someone else's right. technique, made it your own. Someone took your technique, made it. Like, right. that's the, the I, beauty, that's of, the it, beauty yeah. of prop making in general. Like, you learn from the masters before. Right. So, actually, that's a good it, little segue. How did you get into, like, what was your first step to doing props? Uh, I was 14 years old. And I saw a film called Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I was in St. Louis as a kid. and I'm in the Oh, Mid- that's where you're from? Or? Yeah, St. Okay. Louis, Missouri. And I was born in the Midwest. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, like everybody. And as George Lucas, like, nobody realized at the time when this film came out, it was a blockbuster. And yeah. as a matter of fact, it turned out that that phrase was not, it never existed until it was uh, Spielberg made Jaws. That was the first. That was the first technical blockbuster. And what they called the reason they called it blockbuster was because the lines would wrap around the block. Oh, and I did not know that. That's the origin of the phrase blockbuster. That makes sense. And nobody saw movies back in the seventies. You made films. You made a film. It made out. People didn't make movies to make money so much as they made it to entertain people. Yeah, they, for they the experience. A, yeah, they made experience, and they also the studios made a little bit of a profit. It was great for them, so they kept the machine running. It wasn't until the Jaws came out, and when Jaws came out, that was like people went out and saw the movie over. People were like, wait a minute, people are seeing the movie they already saw once before. They're going back to see the movie again. That was so unheard of True. back then. So thus the phrase blockbuster. And then so when George came out. George was literally the second man to do that because Spielberg did it with Jaws and then Star Wars episode and, or and they found, I was going to say episode one yeah, sorry yeah. <laughs> episode four now and, New Hope right <laughs> and what ended up happening was it changed the whole format of Hollywood people started realizing wait a minute the films came out in the summer it came out when kids were out of school that's and it, because before then they would just release movies there was no scheduled events or dents see I feel like that that's the downfall of today is like they try and build for blockbusters and you can't do that you can't it's lightning in a bottle it's like you do what you do whatever, but what ended up happening was so Star Wars I saw it I was one of those fans I got roped into it not knowing this film was going to be this foundation for the rest of the, and it not just affected me it affected everybody yeah and I was this kid starting for knowledge and there was no books there was no books. There was There's no, no bu- internet. There, there was, was no, no behind the scenes. <laughs> there was nothing. I was starting for information, and I did. Oh, wow. I, and I would get my hands on cardboard, poster board. Uh, I would duct tape. What I was trying to do, I built a cardboard Millennium Falcon, like to scale with my action figures. I made a Rebel blockade runner out of cardboard. It was about oh, wow. two feet long. I was obsessed, and my parents would always would nod. My, oh, he's you know he's it's a. He's so cute, and if he can only find, he likes to build stuff. He likes to build. Yeah, <laughs> someday he'll have to, you know, maybe we could put that toward art. You know. Oh yeah, and he'll uh, have to get a real job later. Eventually, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was no like real foundation. Oh, you're gonna do this the rest of your life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like there's no, zero, yeah, there's yes. nothing set up for that. Zero, zero. especially in seventies in St. Louis. So I was starving, starving, starving. Went out looking, looking, looking. There was nothing, and then there was these magazines came out like Cinefix. I love Cinef. It wasn't Cinefix. It was Cinefantastique. Okay. And they had these books, and there's another one that came out called Cinemagic. It was put out by Starlog, the same company that put out Starlog magazine. Oh. And there were these simple little magazines about independent filmmakers and artists, how to make a rubber mask, 
how to do oh, four, wow. yeah how to do forced perspective shots and that was just, it was like these were the bibles and I still have these books to this day and I should do is take photographs and post these things because people don't realize there were other people that are affected by this and like oh my god and they were doing these and I bought these books and they had a short run they only ran out for so many issues and they stopped okay. selling because they were very limited um, and probably not like limited techniques at that time too. Yeah, so it was all it was like, all. You garage. get to the twelve books and you're like, yeah, that's really all we can show right now. Well, there was so much stuff in there, but the books didn't sell as well. But it covered everything from how to use junk and garbage. And people were like, it, what it was it was the early YouTube. It was a group. Yeah. Of, it was